Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Hi, this is Danielle. Today's episode features Jessica Roach. She is the co-founder and CEO of Restoring Our Own Through Transformation, also known as ROOT, a nonprofit black women-led reproductive justice organization focused on maternal child health and birthing justice here in Columbus, Ohio. Her work has spanned over 20 years in areas such as clinical nursing, public health advocacy, and an independent scholarship. She has served as a full-spectrum doula, home birth midwife and assistant, consultant to various organizations, and is the mother of three young women, one of which was a preterm infant. She is basically a badass, helping us all understand the power in our communities and ourselves. Hello, Jessica. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. I appreciate it. Yay! Jessica's here! Hey, Laurel. (laughs) (laughs) What's up? What's up? We're waiting to get Jessica here, so we are more than excited to let's be honest about it we've been rescheduling getting yeah. jessica here <laughs> multiple times yes yes we have had to reschedule life. life life yes that's it and, and poor scheduling <laughs> on my part no. all right can you first tell us um we'll start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family sure so um i have three daughters um one is going to be 26 this year in August. Uh, one just turned 19, who is the child that was the preterm infant. And then my other daughter is going to be turning 17 in July. So three young women. Um, had my first baby when I was a teenager, um, which was a very interesting experience. We'll get more into that later. And um, had my second one after I became a nurse at OSU. I was at the time working in epilepsy and neuroscience. Had my third baby at home while I was living in Phoenix, Arizona. She was a home birth. And um, we made the decision to have a home birth based off of what happened with the second birth. So, you know, my kids are all amazing. And they're all doing great things. And they've got their own lives and their own thoughts and processes and incredibly independent, which can be really challenging and also really great when you look in the mirror and go, Oh, yeah, (laughs) there's a reason that 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 happened. So Mm Um, a little bit about me. I, um, wow, I don't even know where to start. I'm old, so there's lots of stories oh, to be it. told. Um, I came into I, I came into this work because I was um, a young black mother, a young single black mother, and then um, had two subsequent children. Went into nursing because I could see what was going on in my own family intergenerationally with um, the health issues that were directly impacting us as black people and some of the stories that were surrounding him that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And so with that, um, you know, I, I got into doing work in um, nursing and then going into being a doula and a birthing assistant. Um, very shortly after I had my third child. And um, what what ended up coming from that was development of root. I realized that the work that I was doing as an individual and that some of us were doing as individuals and my mentors and watching all of that experiences and, and the stresses that they were having 
was deeply impactful. And I knew that we needed to do something that was going to allow us to have a more broad scope and have some levels of advocacy. And so um, I went to school for my MPH um, in maternal child health at University of Illinois, Chicago with purpose because I knew I'd be supported there and um, came back and started Root. And all of that is like the things that I do, but it's really important to note that the things that I do now in my life are all about who I am as a person. And that's one of the big things with the organization overall is that it's not just an I, it's an us. It's understanding that we all care for our families, that we love one another, and that we recognize the resources. And I really, really, really love black people. And I know what our history is and where we come from and the skills and abilities that we have. And so for me personally, and then what manifests in our organization is just the understanding and knowing that we have all of the resources and that we are enough. And we were enough before the degrees, before schooling, before any of that. It was just simply us. So, and that's that, like I said, that's enough. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. I never know how to narrow it down because I'm like, what do we talk about? Like, me, I like to dance. I used to be a singer. Um, in my former life, I was going to go to school at Howard University, and then I had a baby. Um, the new movie Us was really great, and everybody should watch it. I like to cook. How about that? All of those things. But all of you. I think you hit on it that all the things that you do is who you are. Yeah. So there's no way of like there is no need to break that down any more than what it was. That's it. No, I definitely, you know, I, I can't, I don't leave work at the office. That's just not how it works. Work is life and life is work. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we're so solid as an organization is because it's something that really is embedded in the dailiness of our lives, mm -hmm. not just talking about us as a narrative and a story um, and as a population that needs to be treated. It's about us as a whole. Or saved. Or sa uh, Thank you. But the, and, there's, and there's that. Mm -hmm. There's that. <laughs> we got I, I have a feeling we'll talk about that later on <laughs> in segment two. <laughs> so you have had more than one pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, so today, I don't know if you wanted to focus in on one or if you wanted to roll them all together at that works best for you? It's almost easier for me to be able to talk about them on a continuum, and I'll try to do that okay. as concise yeah. as I can, okay. um, because it also gets back to the fact that, like, everything in the principles we were just talking about, right? Like, there's mm -hmm. nothing that actually operates in a silo. Mm -hmm. um, so my first child, I was a um, single mom. My um, grandmother and my great-grandmother were both still alive at the time. You know the stories that go along with being the single teenage black parent, mm -hmm. all of those things that can come up around that, the narratives. And what was distinctly different, what I felt like was distinctly different in that pregnancy after learning from the other two, was that um, those stories never really landed with me. I completely rejected them and I didn't really get that. There were so many more people that were outside of my family that were saying oh, you're never going to be able to accomplish anything. You're always going to be on welfare. You're going to live in the, pro you know, like all of the, all of the things that people associate with negative, which by the way, isn't necessarily a negative. Like there's nothing wrong with getting SNAP benefits, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with getting title 20 or mm -hmm. title 10. Mm -hmm. Is it title 20? It's title 20. Title 20. Especially Child care assistant, because I mean, 
that you wouldn't know. Get Lots it. of people get it that you don't know get it. And so, you know, I didn't, I never, I never landed in any of those stereotypes. And it was because I had the family that I did. It was just, well, this is just what we do. Like, we have children. And, you know, I remember at one point my grandmother saying to me, I wish you had cousins that were pregnant, because if you had your cousins that were pregnant, then you wouldn't have to worry about breastfeeding, because that's just what we all did. You know, one of my sisters or my cousins were pregnant. We just helped take care of one another's baby. So for her, the only concern she ever had was that there weren't more of us that were <laughs> pregnant at the same time. You don't have a crew, right? right. One crew <laughs> to roll with, right? You know, like that was her only concern. And, and there was also, you know, the conversation around if I felt like I wasn't ready to be able to raise a baby, mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be a matter of having to go through any services outside of my family. It was just literally like, I've already talked to Uncle David, and if this is what has to happen, then we can go ahead and you know, the Uncle David and Aunt Sissy will take the baby mm-hmm. and you'll still be able to see the baby and it'll be fine. Like there was that kind of community that happened. Mm-hmm. And so with that pregnancy, even though I was told from the beginning, you know, I'm at risk for all of these things and there could be a negative a- in- out- outcome. Jordan was born late, according to her estimated due date, mm-hmm. breastfed like a champ, perfectly healthy, no mm-hmm. issues. I just I had a lot of support. Moving into um, my second pregnancy, which is probably the one that's the most tender for me in a lot of ways, um, I was already a nurse. So I met all of what people talk about as a social determinants of health, like out of poverty, had a home, had a partner, the whole nine yards, um, had a great job as a research nurse. I was a published author. Like I was kind of balling. You know, I was like 25 and balling like, yes. <laughs> and then, but... Um, I started having problems in that pregnancy right around 20 weeks, 21 weeks, when I was first told that I had an incompetent cervix, which let's, let's stop there. Don't ever tell anybody that something about them is incompetent. That's just, that in and of itself creates the stress response that challenges us physiologically overall. Mm-hmm. And then there's the blame game. So here I am being told I have an incompetent cervix. I'm at risk for preterm labor. All of these things that could go wrong. She wasn't at the point of quote unquote viability. I'm sitting in this place of like, what's wrong with me? Right. Um, the thing that was definitely different for me was that I had a couple of folks that I worked with that were really super supportive and helpful and kind of like cheated on letting me have leave. They're like, oh yeah, she's working from home in the bed, but nobody knew that part, right? Um, but it created challenges at home as well. You know, I had a, um, a partner that was probably really scared and giving him some levels of autonomy, my ex-husband at this point, you know, and, and understanding that he didn't really know either and that what people were telling him, it just kind of culminated. Mm-hmm. And so there was not only the things that were being told to me about where I was and the risks with my child, but there was also the reinforcement of that at home with, you know, things like, what's wrong with you? Why, you know... Why is this so different from what you said it was like with mm-hmm. your first pregnancy? You know, like there was just this, this constant, the messaging around me was pretty consistent that there was something that I had done wrong. Yeah. And I still deal with that. Like almost, I still deal with that. Like it's not as bad now, but like right around her birthday, I always get that feeling again. Yeah. And so um, I, we were able to push the pregnancy to like 34 weeks and five days, but it got to the point where my blood pressure was going up and I was having some issues with my renal functions. They weren't bad yet, but they were on the trajectory, you know, like this was what the writing was on the wall. And I was told that I had to, to go in for an induction. 
and you know, there's a team of people around you and they're waiting to like receive this child that's probably going to go to the NICU and all the things that were happening. And all I can remember is like my, my girlfriend, my girlfriend, and also my mentor, Lucretia with me. Um, Miles Davis playing in the background on repeat. So the folks at the, by the end, I think everybody could probably play parts of the instrumental of kind of blue. Cause that was all I had. <laughs> and I didn't want anything different. Um, and then, and then having this child that came out that was like spontaneously breathing, she was crying. She kind of like went to do the nursing thing, nursing crawl on my chest. Things were okay. And then they weren't. And so, Immediately now, just remember too. I was a nurse at this point, and working in the same hospital that I delivered my child in. Nobody knew that I was a nurse, right? Because I don't, I don't try. I try to not use those initials. A couple of people in the room did, obviously, but not like staff wide known. And so I remember them wheeling us out of the labor and delivery room and getting ready to take me to my room. And the nurse who was attending me saying, "We have to take the baby." to observe her because it's policy and it's under 36 weeks. And I'm like, okay, I get it. And I understand, but she's also nursing. So can we let her finish nursing? And there was this just disruptive thing that happened in the, in the middle of the hallway, the nurse raising her voice to me, telling me, no, she literally took my child from my breast. Hmm. And I remember like yelling and screaming. Her father at the time was trying to comfort me and I'm telling yelling at him like go get the baby don't let them touch her don't let them give her formula don't let them you know like we have this plan Mm -hmm. nothing without us um and it was really 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 challenging I was lucky enough to be able to call in all of the people because I had connections in the hospital and heads Mm -hmm. of departments and was able to advocate for myself in that way but that didn't leave that traumatic experience itself didn't leave and the reality that it took so much for me to have to fight for that. Right. What's that like for all of us that don't have those resources to be able to just simply be able to have the birth experience right. that we want for our children? And if we don't get to have that exact birth experience to still be centered in our voices and what it is that we have expectation for mm-hmm. ongoing for our children's care. I had pretty significant postpartum depression after that. Resources were not available. I wasn't offered a lactation consultant. I had to seek out my own um, counselor for mental health. It took about six months for me to realize that that was what was going on. And again, um, it was because I had the resources in front of me. Like I was able to open up a DSM, and mm-hmm. and which is um, the book that they use to help with diagnoses of mental and behavioral health issues. And I was able to like read a book. And say, oh, you know what? X, Y, and Z is happening with me. And that's how my counseling started. But nobody offered that to me. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of problems around that again at home as well. Like, why why can't you get it together? Why why are you unhappy? Just be happy that you have a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. It was through all of that that when I got pregnant with my third child, um, we were living in Phoenix at the time. And I went to my first kind of doctor's appointment. I was already talking with a friend of mine who was, had gone through um, uh, midwifery school at Materna de la Luz in El Paso and was now living in Phoenix. And she and I talked about it. She wasn't licensed yet, but she's like, you know, this is an option. I was like, well, I think I've got these issues. I'm going to have to go to the doctor. And and I, I I was doubting myself still. I was like, there's Mm -hmm. something wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I went and saw the doctor, and the doctor, of course, started writing, reading off the list. Like, you are at risk for preterm birth because you're African-American, because you've had a previous preterm, because you had preeclampsia. You are at risk for all these things. And something just shut off. Like, it was almost like a disassociation. <laughs> or the Charlie Brown teacher in my ear, like, wah, 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 wah. And I, I let him finish saying what he's saying. And I said, you know, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I left. I went home, and I looked at my um, then-husband and said, um, I, I don't care if you divorce me. I'm not going back to see a physician. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have this baby at home. I'm going to do the things that I remembered being told and supported in by my family with my first pregnancy and trusting myself and our traditions and our cultures and our ways. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the look on his face, like I expected to have a fight. And he just looked at me and said, okay. Cause what I didn't know at the time was that he had also been traumatized by mm-hmm. that experience. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But didn't talk about it. Cause you don't, you don't have talk about it. Right. And you don't have right. the words and, and they feel they don't have the right. Right. And then it causes conflict inside of the family as well. You know, that's where mm-hmm. some of the fighting infighting came. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I ended up getting a midwife who was great and hardly ever around, which is exactly what I wanted. She did exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then I had my girlfriend, also named Danny, um, who was the one that had gone through school and was, you know, just basically my confidant. And I bounced things off of her. But I really didn't see people much. I did prenatal yoga. I ate well. And I had that baby. Um, two weeks overdue. Past her due date. She was due July 1st. She came on July 14th in my bed at home at 10.15 Central Time. And um, after five hours of like, from like point of first contraction to point of baby out. Nine pounds. Beautiful. Perfect. I felt like Superwoman. I was a little bit high on the adrenaline rush. <laughs> a little bit. I was like, I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to go to the kitchen and cook. Because I do all the things. Thank God at the time, their dad just followed behind me and was like, and like, when I, like 30, about 30 minutes later, I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not as good as I thought I was. He's like, you ready to go back to bed? I'll finish this. <laughs> but it was with those experiences and, and through that empowerment, like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the experiences of having my children mm-hmm. and being able to see those successions and develop the really unique relationships in particular with Jaden and Julian and them being so close to one another and how that came about, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have, I would not have had the internal or recognized the internal power that I had, that I knew that all of us also have, had it not been for those experiences. So it becomes that shifting the story mm-hmm. from all the things that we are in despair about, all the things that are wrong with us, and actually shifting it to the real levels of strength um, and resource and just start trusting our instinct that we have, that we, that we can work with. And out of that really was the beginning of the journey to root. Go back to the root. Always go back to the root. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yes. I mean, that, that segues perfectly into why, why Root and when did the work start for you? Um, and you've, 
answered that a little bit by one telling us your your three experiences, but um, and what root does and why it's different. But let's let's delve a little bit deeper into the deeper dive. The deeper dive into why root and really like when we tell when we're telling families that those 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 risk factors aren't because of you they're because of all these things what do we mean by that yeah so you know i mean there's two different ways that we can approach that one is that um i've been in this work for 18 years and through that i've done it in multiple ways not only through direct service but in research and in policy and advocacy and through that research and advocacy, it's become really clear to me, building upon the stories that have been passed down through my family, that we're looking at what is really, from a structural timeline, 400 years as of this year, it's 2019. And so when we were first brought here as enslaved Africans, um, which on the books is, according to the books, is in 1619. We already came with these levels of resource. I mean, quite frankly, we were having babies and developing families undisturbed before colonialism. Mm -hmm. um, and folks don't always want to talk about that, right? Like, we have a history that happened well before we were ever brought here. Well before. Mm -hmm. Well before. And so when I talk about going back to the root, it's going back to those principles. Um, the entire subfield of obstetrics and gynecology is built off of our backs literally and to be frank it's built off of our vaginas and our uteruses and in a way and in a manner that we were utilized for experimentation in order to develop even the smallest thing like the speculum that they use in a pap smear mm -hmm. um, the whole idea of laying on your back and giving birth it's called the sims position which is named for a slave owner who was a sadomasochist and utilized that position in order simply in order for him to be able to have better access, quote unquote. Um, you take that story where you want to. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it's ever apparent in our health communication that we utilize, you know, we, the, the medicine in and of itself, unfortunately, in many ways, and I'm going to say this with, with absolute, with what I believe is absolutely true. There are those that are ignorant because they don't know, and there are those that are willfully ignorant, and they do know, and they could do something about it. But our health communication in and of itself centers race as the health risk factor instead of racism, mm -hmm. which is the actual health risk factor. You know, my friend um, and colleague, Joya Creer Perry, talks about that all the time. It's not race. That's our health risk factor. And so we have to change that language. So that's one way that we can take a look at how Root came about. Leading into all of that and the policies that have been created that have created some of these situations, the structural determinants that have created the consequences of the social determinants. We have all of this language around the things that are impacting us and our families from the stereotypes and the um, misconception of the absent black father to... Um, being at risk because we're African-American and so therefore we're going to have preterm infants, we're going to have gestational diabetes, like all of those mm -hmm. things, right? Um, those social determinants are created because we don't have the access to be able to get housing because the houses that we could potentially purchase are still inside of areas that were originally redlined by our government in 1932 through the Homeowners Loan Corporation. 
you know, we can't talk about the absent black father without talking about the fact that the 13th Amendment was created specifically to, quote unquote, free the slaves. But in the second line states very specifically, except for those who are incarcerated mm-hmm. for crimes committed. Mm-hmm. And our judicial system is so subjective that you're going to automatically put a black man or a black woman, which is the highest growing population, the fastest growing population in prison now mm-hmm. in 2018 in jail for a, at, at a disproportionate rate for the same crime that their white counterpart may have, right? So you've got all of these structures that are actually infiltrating and purposefully developed in order to destroy and dismantle aspects of the family. Mm-hmm. Put all of those into the factors of what happens with stressors. We're paid less. We don't get paid paternal leave. We're more at risk to lose our jobs. We're trying to hustle just to make the ends meet. Even when we have a degree... Mm-hmm. And we're inside of academia. We're still having to prove ourselves. That stress consistently compounds and causes a very real physiological impact. One of the last births that I attended, I was in, I was in a birth myself. It was a home birth. And I got a um, call from one of my mentors who had a client that was also in Ohio who was having some challenges with her home birth that she was having. She called me because she wanted me to go to that birth. I'm like, I can't, I'm already at a birth. Uh, (laughs) I wish I could be a couple different people. Um, But I did call her. And um, so it's it's still really hard to talk about this. Like, it's just that impactful all the time. This is what we live with all the time. And I remember talking to her and kind of labor sitting with her on the phone and just talking to her really, you know, like, Mama, what's going on? All you have to do is trust yourself and, and, and this baby and they're going to do the work and you're fine. And she very clearly said to me, I'm like, well, and I asked her specifically, you know, why can't you let go? Like, just let go. And she said, I can't because nobody's going to love this black man like I love him. I mean, she was pregnant with a son. And she was afraid of releasing him from her body mm. because of she knew at least there he was safe, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that hit me in multiple different ways. It, like recognizing and understanding that like my daughters are, are very light-skinned and they, they don't have that same issue walking out the door. Mm-hmm. Just from perception, right? That what it is that that impact on our body. Think about that. I mean, that can impact why it is that we have higher C-section rates disproportionately. That impacts when we do have preterm infants, you know, that impacts whether or not we're, we're able to bond well after our children are born. Cause we're so we're parenting out of fear because we're constantly worried about what's going to happen to our children next. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this, we have this thing that we talk about safe sleep. We spend more time, in the blame game of trying to tell us how to not harm our children during the first year than we do actually paying attention to the fact that we want them to live past the age of 13 Mm -hmm. and not get shot. And so it was after that experience that I went for my MPH and I knew that there was something different that I was going to do. And it would be, it would have been really easy to stay in Chicago because I found people in Chicago. There were more of us that were doing this work already much more progressive that we're remembering the root of where we came from and, the, and what we had. 
but this is my home. This is where I had my children with the exception of the last one. This is where the work needs to be done. The Midwest, with the exception of Chicago, often gets overlooked. Ohio gets overlooked. Columbus gets overlooked. And we had all been talking about, like, wow, wouldn't it be great if there was some way that we could have a collective with one another? And I was like, well, yeah, we can. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that stops us from doing it. And so that's how Root was born. Root was officially born almost two years ago. Two years ago in July. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it came out of lots, of lots of phone conversations and talking about what could be for us and what our stories really were. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I talk about it all the time, like it's us. You know, I mean, I do a lot of forward-facing stuff now, which is really tough for me because I'm not real good. <laughs> but, you know... It's about us. Root is us. Root is the manifestation of what our community really is and what our birth outcomes are, what our families are, how we can develop, how we can look at sustainability based upon what we consider our needs that, and understanding that what, we're try, what it's about is, is, is safety, not just safe sleep. Mm-hmm. I like um, when you said that the Midwest or Ohio and even Columbus are often overlooked. And, and when you said that... Um, not to make a correction of anything you said, but I thought overshadowed. Yeah. Um, just there's football and there's corn and there's like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's the cows. There's the cows. Um, <laughs> there's all these other things this, that, that, that Ohio's known for. Ohio is like this. It's a, a hybrid of a, a state in that it's very rural and still very urban, and there are mm-hmm. a lot of things going on. Um, and it's not just LeBron leaving the Cavs, and there's so much more. Because <laughs> LeBron will even tell you it's not just Le- LeBron leaving the Cavs. If you haven't been right. paying attention to what the brother's been saying right. for many years. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, it is. It is. It's. It's often uh, this discussion around reproductive justice, which I know we're going to get into. It, it can be really overshadowed here, um, and it gets really siloed into these contexts of conversations around just pro-life or pro-choice, which both of those movements, you know, unfortunately, don't really speak to what it is that we often experience within the Black community. And by no way, shape, or form do I want to ever be considered. Like that voice, that's another problem because they always try to silo us. That's one of the reasons why I'm always about like us, we, mm-hmm. who can be there to speak for who we are as the collective. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's still that white construct of like this one person who would be the expert only. Mm-hmm. And I have some levels of expertise, but I also have levels of expertise that are informed by every single client that we ever interact with. Right. So they come in with a level of expertise. And um, both the pro-life and the pro-choice movements have a tendency to miss those levels of conversation where it's about autonomy, period. And I can be really clear about that, in particular, as black women and black men, we've already had our reproductive choices dictated to us for 400 years, and we're done. That's, that's it. We're done. You don't get to tell us how it is that we create a family. You definitely don't get to scream Black Lives Matter when you're doing nothing for the black lives that are actually here. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get to chastise me for the choice to have an abortion. 
after I had my second child, because for me at that point, it was a family value decision. I had a child that was ill. I was dealing with postpartum depression. I had a family that needed to be cared for already. Period. And then I get to have the choice to have the third one when I was ready to have the third one. And so that's, those are the stories that need to be discussed. And Ohio is really kind of at the center of it right now, especially with all of the major legislation that just keeps coming out left and right. That's a consistent restriction on anything in regards to our reproductive health care and our decisions. And these decisions should be made by the family, within the family, with a competent healthcare practitioner. And even then, all the competent healthcare practitioner is supposed to do is to give all of the information so that the family can make the best informed decision for themselves. There's advice that I give out all the time. And folks are like, nope, not good for me. I'm like, cool, give me your alternative. Because I may be missing something. There really is a possibility, even with us having our degree, that we could still be continuously learning. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's necessary to, to be open to that. And so I'm, I'm always, you know, with our relationship that Roots had with the Black Mamas Matter Alliance and the levels of national support that we have been able to garner, being a kindred partner, having other organizations like National Birth Equity Collaborative, the Afia Center, um, Common Sense Childbirth Inc., birthing beautiful communities up in Cleveland. You know, we are a wealth of resource. Mm-hmm. And it is through us, by us, that we're really making the changes and the differences. I'm always going to scream, Ohio, 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 until we don't have to have the conversation anymore. Mm-hmm. But Ohio is not a silo. It happens everywhere. They're having the same problem in Georgia right now. They're, I mean, it just... They're having the same issues in Texas. It's happening across the country. And um, it's really clear to me that Root is here for that greater purpose inside of the whole of collective to make sure that it's known that this is what's going on in Ohio, to advocate as best as we can, and to be sure that we are working with our partners that look like us, that center our needs and concerns and find the resources from within to be able to build the healthy communities that we need to have. I just want to highlight one thing that you said that I think many care providers, many people who are seeking care themselves don't realize, and that you said that even our clients, they come in with a level of expertise. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. You know, medicine is a, it's just a new language, right? It's just, it's just a language. Mm-hmm. So you can utilize all of these terms, but really somebody's already describing that to you, right? Like a client can come in and say, I think that I ate this food in particular and it had a little bit too much salt and then my feet swelled up a bit. But then when I drank water, I was able to clear it out over a couple of day period. And I've noticed that when I eat too much bread, I kind of get the same feeling. And my, you know, I think my blood sugar might be going up and down. Well, yes, yes. And I mean, that's just, those are just describing the symptoms of what is, you know, potentially could be um, a diagnosis, but really it's knowing and understanding your body. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's somebody that comes in and has better baby wearing skills than I do. Right. Or, 
somebody that knows of this particular tea that is really helpful for nausea. Like, this worked for me. Why don't you try this instead? Or, no, I can't eat that type of food because it causes this reaction for me. Everyone is individual. But it's those kinds of things that help me trigger when I may have heard that from another client. And I didn't know what that was. And then I can take that information and go, if I hear it again, and go, oh, wait a minute. I remember that this client had this particular issue or concern and then had this remedy call that client, that former client, say, do you mind having it? Can I like give out your information? Do I have permission? Can you get in touch with this other mom? She's having some similar things from what I remember you telling me about. Can you two connect? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we all come in with a level of expertise. How it is that we also call, all come in with the, the, the need and the gift and the right to be able to continue to acquire knowledge. Mm-hmm. So just because I may give information, quote unquote, education, doesn't mean that that isn't something that that person that I'm talking to doesn't like recognize in their own being and, and have their own way of being able to articulate it and then carry it on to the next person. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it most definitely doesn't mean that I'm not going to sit there and hear something from them and go, oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. That's so great. Can I use that? <laughs> you know, moving yeah. forward. It's it's important. It's kind of like that um, idea of the white coat being the expert, right? And and they are right. in their area in some way, but to let someone be the expert of you is kind of a different um, releasing of your own power and your own abilities that you shouldn't allow to happen. You may in the the expert in the white coat may be an expert about whatever process they're treating and the Mm -hmm. modality that they're working in and the knowledge that they have acquired, but they're not an expert in your own individual everyday life. Right. Mm -hmm. Really, you're the only person that is the expert of your own being. And so that's why I'm saying everybody comes in with their own level of expertise. And that has to be integrated and intersected with the levels of expertise that I may be able to bring in, that our doulas are able to bring in that healthcare practitioner is able to bring in so that we're developing a team. It's a perinatal team, mm-hmm. right. period. Yep. So um, we've kind of discussed before um, with our audience about root doulas, that we are both root doulas and have both had root doulas for birth. <laughs> um, it's a family from there. the executive director, <laughs> really? uh, what does root care look like? So um, that's a great question because it's one that we're really struggling with in particular now that we're getting some more levels of visibility and getting many, many, many more referrals. Root doulas are not, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow this actually from um, my sister Chanel with uh, ancient song doula (laughs) that has been like hashtagged across everybody. So I think all of us are kind of using it at this point, but I remember hearing it from her first, which was um, not all doulas are the same. And that's really clear. Um, The type of training and the certification that Root offers and does and how our doulas are trained are very different. And I think that you see similar to that, like with Birth and and Beautiful Communities and with like Ancient Song Doula and um, Mama Toto Village. Our doulas are certified in a way that is addressing 
black women's health in a holistic manner. And so we're not the people that you would call at 36 weeks and say, hey, I would like a doula to be at my birth because we're so much more. Mm -hmm. Often we get referrals before women have even seen their physician for the first time. They may be calling us because they want to have access to resources for a physician. We've gotten a couple of calls from most recently, which I absolutely love. We've gotten a couple of calls that have been from the fathers that are like, we really need to have this for her. And I'm like, but we might actually really need it for you too. So we'll get to that, (laughs) you know? Um, So we start at the beginning. We do nutritional counseling. We do supportive services in between the 15 minute once a month physician um, appointments. We do um, resource development and acquisition. And I mean that, and we take the time to see what are the internal resources, things that, that our clients may not even recognize that they have as their own resources and figure out how to develop and connect them. We address things like housing and housing stability. We advocate for that in that way. We'll, we'll be the first to send the letter to the landlord if we have to. So it's on the individual state and um, national level and advocacy surrounding that. Um, We help with childbirth plans and childbirth education. We're there for the the text messages at three o'clock in the morning just because there's a fear that crops up or what if I can't do this? And, you know, we're, we develop a family, we're root family. And so we provide our support throughout the entire pregnancy. We prefer to be able to meet our clients before their 20th week. Um, That doesn't mean that we won't take you after 20 weeks, but we really know that the model works when we get to develop the relationships and the trust. We're there all through the entire birth, and then we're there after the postpartum period. Um, And so we're there between the time that mom has a baby to when they go to their first six week appointment and well beyond. I mean, I still get phone calls about little people that are five, (laughs) you know, because we made a family. Mm -hmm. So that's really the difference. That's, that's where the root doulas and root full spectrum doulas are very different is that we are very family centered and we're engaged in the relationship through the entire process. We also do work surrounding uh, comprehensive sexual and reproductive health services um, and education. So we do a lot of care in between pregnancies so that we can, you know, plan for baby spacing or not baby spacing, depending upon what are the needs of the person. We do work with teenagers. We want the youth to be involved, whether it be in their families or going into schools, because you get to have the right to autonomy and know what's happening with your own body so you can make the best decisions that you want to make for yourselves and have really good conversations with your parents or your caregivers so that you can make a collective family decision and look and be well informed. Um, And so that, I think that is what makes us really different. We, you're not going to get a doula certification with root through a weekend class. You know, it's going to be, um, at least 40 hours in class. It's typically 20 hours outside of class immediately. It's months long of an apprenticeship. We work in team building, so there's always a team. Um, and we, do, we don't just say, here you go, you've got a certification, you can go out and, and attend a birth. And yes, we are there for emotional, mental, physical support, but it is very clear that we also have to have the skills, and this is part of our certification, and being able to have the medical knowledge 
um, the ability to advocate, the ability to be able to find resource to be able to best support our families. Mm-hmm. And I think the family piece, like as doulas, we rely on each other to make sure that we're processing our experiences with families and um, supporting each other, like being able, you know, after a birth to call someone or just have someone bring you food because you're hungry or having someone be able to help you with your children. Like, I think that's a part that many organizations are also missing is what's happening to the doulas to be able to give the best care to the families. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's absolutely no way. And this is where this gets out of something that you said earlier about the saving mode. Like we're really clear that we're not saving anybody. And that language has to be changed because what it is that we do for our families, we do for our family internally. Mm -hmm. We can't do the work as root doulas and root advocates unless we're taking care of ourselves in the same way that we're telling our families that they need to take care of, of one another as well. And so we have, that's a, it's a constant practice and it wouldn't work. And there's times where we can see like in our own individual experiences, like I know I'm the first to not ask for assistance. Right. And then I can see where things start falling apart in my own personal life because I haven't reached out to ask for the assistance and so it's a reminder to me that I have to reach out to my root family to say, hey, I need this picked up because I've got to be in this place. And just how quickly that stress can just fall away because you know that your person's got it. Mm-hmm. Like your people got you. If it wasn't for all of you, um, our administration, the folks that are just like hands on all the time, it, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And we all deserve that. Right. We deserve one another. We deserve the best of one another. Right. And in order to get the best of one another, we have to support each other in getting there. Yeah. Yep. Um, you've talked about this throughout in ways that you've described the work of Root. But um, if someone sees that you are a um, woman like reproductive justice organization, what is reproductive justice? Reproductive justice. <laughs> reproductive justice is 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 best defined and, and and has been best defined um by sister song if you if if whoever is listening has not heard of sister song please look that organization up they're they're amazing 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 monica simpson amazing um is the ability to choose where when how and if we create a family i mean that's there's so much more to that there's such a broader definition but it is just us being able to have the ability to make the decision as to whether or not we want to have a family, how we're going to create that family, be able to have a safe and sustainable environment to raise that family in. And it encompasses all of the things that are discussed when you're talking about basic human rights. And when you're talking about, um, or I'm going to say they, when the academy or medical field will talk about the social determinants and how those things impact us. We do deserve the right to housing. We deserve the right to a safe and sustainable community. That safe and sustainable community also means we deserve the right to not be terrorized and have better engagement with law enforcement. That also means that we should have the right to be able to purchase homes inside of our housing and not automatically have more hoops that we have to jump through because we're considered at risk simply because of our zip code Mm -hmm. or because of our race. Um, We deserve the right 
to have our families be intact and not be disproportionately divided with through child protective services and the right to advocacy for that. A lot of folks are seeing that now with what's happening with immigrant populations. And and let me tell you, even though the media will say it's just on the borders, it's not just the borders. It's everywhere that there are larger immigrant populations where families are being disconnected for absolutely no reason. Um, it's the right to have families look the way you want them to look that work for you, you know, that that it also encompasses our LGBTQ community. It encompasses multi-generational families. It encompasses disability rights. It encompasses making sure that we have fair and equitable wages. It encompasses the right to be able to have um, paternity or maternity leave, like basically just paid parental leave, period. And how that parent is defined, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you live in a multi-generational home and it's grandma that is providing primary care, there should be something that's in place for her as well. You know, there shouldn't be a question and dad shouldn't have to return to work two days after their baby is born. Mom should absolutely never have to return to work. I mean, six weeks is a ridiculous notion to begin with, but you know, we're, we're, we deal with people and clients that we've that we've worked with that have to go back to work after two. I had to. I had to go back to work after two weeks after my last child. Three weeks after the second one. It's it's all of the factors that disproportionately impact us and we speak from root from a very specific place inside of that larger umbrella of reproductive justice. We talk about it very specifically about the impact upon the black community and the impact upon the development of black families and how we choose to define that. We deserve to be able to have safe and sustainable communities across the board. So that's, that's in a nutshell where what reproductive justice means to me personally Mm -hmm. and the definition that has been defined um, and just some of the few aspects that reproductive justice touches. I mean, reproductive justice touches literally every aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. Every aspect of our life. Yes. <laughs> I feel like all I can say is like, yes, and like clap in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, finger snaps are always yeah, cute too. You know, like, hey, snap, snap, like it's snap it up, like snap it up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Jessica, what's coming up next for Root? How can the community support or get involved? Absolutely. Well, um, there's many things that are coming up for Root. And so my best suggestion would be, one, keep visiting our website. We're in the process of doing a rebranding. Our very own Laurel and Dorian are are putting together a great new website. So I'm really excited about that. Shout out for that, which will make it more accessible and easy for folks to be able to find the information that they want, because right now it can be a little confusing. Um, So in the immediate, though, what we have coming up is Black Maternal Health Week, which is April 11th through the 17th. So excited. So We are lucky enough to be one of the um, kindred partners of the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. And currently, we, I believe we may be the only organization in Ohio that is a kindred partner that's doing um, activities um, in conjunction with Black Mamas Matter Alliance, although that also means that everybody can uplift 
those organizations. Uh, so we have organizations across the country and um, universities and academia, kindred partners and collaborators are across the country bringing awareness um, to the conversation around black maternal health. And really, for us in Columbus, it's about understanding and recognizing that you can't address black infant mortality, which is what the focus is from a very scarcity place, um, without having the conversation about black women, black women's health care, black women's right to reproductive health care, respectful reproductive health care, being able to be in receipt of that reproductive health care without having to always seek it out or explain ourselves as to why it is we need it. Like, there, there's no silo in that. Mm-hmm. You can't have a healthy black baby unless you have a healthy black mama. Mm-hmm. And healthy black mama means you got to have a healthy black family and community and resources and all of the things that, that come with that, correct? So um, you can get involved through um, going to our website at www.root.org checking out our events that are coming up for Black Maternal Health Week. Find out how you can get involved, sponsor, donate. If you have um, a friend or a family member that is looking for services, always um, refer. We never turn anyone away. We do our best to be able to provide the resources, and we are working on coming up with making sure that you know we can do some work potentially with Ohio Department of Medicaid, and private insurances to be able to find ways to be able to creatively bill. Um, we are establishing an entire arm of um, our home visiting services that we're going to start offering as well, um, which will fall under what we're already doing as an organization for Root. Um, and we have several activities that are going to be coming up in the next several months, including um, additional trainings, opportunities to be able to work with us through um you know, public health. Re- we we kind of have across the board things, right? Like, are you interested in public health research? We can help with that. Are you interested in public policy and legislation? We do that too. Where would you like to be? And really, just honestly, like, show up at the come to the events. Come and meet us. Let's connect and see because we're always needing more resource. Right? We have to build within ourselves. And there may be something that Root is seeking that we need to be able to help close the gap that one of our members of our community are going to have. And we're not going to know that until we make the connection with one another. From the arts and ways to be able to express and process our own mental health to um, the very physical act of direct support for um, birthing families. You know, there's always something that they can engage in. You have the dates as well, right? April 17th is a really big one I want to push out. Let me push out April 17th. April 17th, we have two events happening. Um, The first one is a community discussion at the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity, and that'll be from 10.30 a.m. to um, 12 noon, roughly, because you know how we get when we all get together sometimes. Things last a little bit longer. Um, We have a special guest coming in for that, um, Dr. Joya Creer-Perry, who is my co-lead on the care working group with the Black Mamas Matter Alliance and also the president of the National Birth Equity Collaborative. So she'll be here with us that day at the Kerwin Institute. And then later in the evening, we're going to have a really fun, informal, relaxing time. Um, also with Dr. Joya Kerr-Perry as our guest, but it will be an evening at the Pelican Room. So there will be food. Um, you will have to buy your own drinks from the bar if that's what you want to do, but... We're going to provide the food, um, and there'll also be entertainment that um, got to give a shout out to um, Brandon B. Jazz Scott for volunteering 
his time to bring the Liquid Crystal Project um, with Dre Peace. So it's going to be a really, really fun evening. It'll be from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And we ask that you come out just to, to learn more about our organization, more about our work with the Black Mamas Matter Alliance and other ways that you can get involved. And then there's also... <laughs> On April 12th at 6.30 p.m., we, the Birth Stories in Color, are partnering with Root and hosting our first um, Birth Stories Circle. Um, and that will be... Um, on East Broad Street. I will make sure that all of the information to access locations. 899 East Broad Street. Street. (laughs) Fourth floor hub multi-purpose room. Saturday, April 13th at 11 a.m. There will be the Root Village Circle, the inaugural family gathering, and that is open to the community of Columbus, Ohio. So please, that is also at 899 East Broad Street, fourth floor hub multi-purpose room. And then Sunday, April 14th at 1 p.m., um, Root, in partnership with the Replenish um, Spa, is hosting perinatal yoga. No matter where you are on your journey of yoga or parenthood, um, <laughs> please join us for that. And that is at the Replenish Spa at 124 South Washington Ave. Um, registration is required, and I will make sure that um, that link is also up in the notes section. So, yeah. And just an FYI, I'll make sure that we get that up in the notes section as well. I will be, uh, as a part of the week with the National um, Collaborative for Black Mamas Matter Alliance, I will be on um, one of the webinars, that the two national webinars that they are doing during that week, and we will make sure that we have all of that information up and also advertised in the notes as we put it out, not only... Um, on birth stories and color, but also on the root website, which is going to be awesome. When our new root website will just automatically take you to all of the wonderful things, <laughs> <laughs> all of all of the other wonderful things that we do within our organization, and all of the wonderful things that our folks bring to our organization and do um, in conjunction with and outside of our organization. Yes. 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 So, is there anything else that you want to share with listeners? Resources, advice. Just anything that you want to leave them with. Yes. Trust yourselves. Trust yourselves more than anything else in the whole world. Know that you come with everything that you need and that you are enough. And when sometimes it feels like it might not be, remember organizations like ours that represent more of you and look like you and have probably had some of the same experiences that you have and know that we're all here to be able to support one another, that we are not broken, that that is just a story that we have come with everything that we need. And we really hope and that you'll find out more information about our organization and find different ways to be able to get involved. Um, and for those of the audiences that may be listening that have those levels of privileges and contacts and connections to be able to help um, leverage the resources that are necessary, please do that. You know, the question often comes up with how am I a best, the best ally? Well, go to our website and find out about the things that we're doing and help leverage the resources to the organizations like ours. Go to the Black Mamas Matter Alliance website, find the organization that is close to you in your locale and reach out to them and see how it is that you can help provide the resources that are necessary. 
because it's not volunteering that we always need. Mm -hmm. And it definitely isn't this mentality of coming in to save us. Mm -hmm. It's about just recognizing and knowing that we got it. We're okay. And we're enough. And allow us to make the decisions that we need to and help us provide the resources that we need in order to follow through with the work and the services that we can provide. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.